Welcome to the Emotioneering Podcast with me, Melissa Curran, the founder and CEO of the Modern Mind Group. We are emotioneering human performance, not engineering it. In season one, we talked about emotioneering the modern mindset and really about those people skills and the expression and the communication. In season two that we're in now, we're going to have topics center around everything to do with emotioneering business results. And that's going to cover creating great places to work, increasing profits, human capital, the people, getting record-breaking results, and world-class employee engagement. I'm going to be interviewing guests that I know are absolute experts in this area, and will be able to share their knowledge, share their learnings on the journey with you and myself. And I'm really looking forward to getting in to all things emotioneering with them. Remember to subscribe to YouTube, to the Facebook page, to Instagram, LinkedIn. And of course, you can go to the website, modernmindgroup.co.uk, and you'll get our monthly newsletter there. Enjoy the show. Today on the podcast, Emotioneers, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Rhonda Williams. Rhonda Williams is an award-winning leadership development expert, coach, international speaker, and get this, four times author. Okay, I'm going to put all her books into the show notes so you can find out. And she's also the founder of Leadership Above the Grind Academy. So we're going to find out all about this stuff today. Uh, Rhonda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Melissa. I am so happy to be on the show. Really looking forward to it. Uh, well, you're the expert leadership coach. We an expert. We have to have you here. Um, so, but I mean, you know, I've kind of shaped it there. You are so credible in your space and what you're doing. You know, you're globally and internationally traveling around doing what you do. But but tell us more from from your perspective. Tell us a bit more about you and exactly what you do and what that looks like. Yeah, so thank you so much. I'm really excited to to share with your audience today. So my name is Rhonda Y. Williams, and I am um, all things leadership, right? My world um, really does circle leadership, and that's where I get my energy, and that's where I get my joy. Um, that really does come from my own journey of leadership and my own sort of twisty, turny path that I went on as I advanced in the ranks in leadership. Um, I'm a registered nurse by background. And so I was in the hospital in the healthcare space and um, had the opportunity to elevate to levels of chief nursing officer, hospital CEO. Uh, and so I've had an incredible time um, really working with teams, building teams, developing cultures. That has been my background. And so I had some crazy life crisis things happening where my entire life flipped upside down. I had to change everything about what I thought was my life and who, who I thought I was. And I really had to go back and do a bit of reinventing of myself. And I had to ask myself this question, Melissa, who am I really? And what do I want? What, what do I really want? Because I was on a path that seemed like, seemed to make sense. But what did I really want? And I really, in digging down, learned that what I love is developing people. I love coaching people, supporting them, developing them. That is my joy. And so I now spend my time doing that. I also work for an uh, international organization. Uh, in addition to being the founder of Leadership Above the Grind Mentoring and Coaching Academy for Leaders. And so that's kind of who I am and what I do right now. And I love the sign behind you. For those that are listening to the podcast, <laughs> you won't be able to see it, but it says, we've got this. And I certainly get an element and a feeling of you absolutely have got this. And I think it's interesting that you talked about reinventing yourself and going through this crisis moment and really asking yourself, like, who am I? Like, what do I want? Like, what, what am I doing? How is, you know, how am I turning up in the world, I suppose, right? And, and uh, what did you feel like, like after actually rediscovering that and getting to that point? I felt like a new person. So when you're in that crisis cycle, you know, you have these peaks and valleys and you're up and you're down and you're trying to figure things out. But when I did figure it out, I, I literally remember um, sort of being in one of my depressive moments, right? I'm angry at the world. I'm like, what's happening to me? Who did I piss off? Dear Lord, help me. Like, like who, who did I make?
angry that all of these things are crashing down around me, including I lost my job, I ended up getting a divorce. And, you know, it was just not a good time. And so um, I'm in the mirror with a glass of wine, literally asking myself these questions. And, um, and saying, why are you feeling this way, right? Because it felt icky, It, it didn't feel like anything I wanted any parts of. And I said, well, because I have a right to, right? All of these things happen to me and this is why I feel this way. And then I began to ask, but do you want to feel this way? Is this who you want to be? And if not, then who do you want to be? And what do you want? And so I went on that journey. And when I got in that space where I really began to recognize what my passion was and what my real love was, and I started working in that. So Melissa, I changed everything at that moment in my life. I, I sold all the furniture in my house, sold the house, uh, moved into an apartment, lost 40 pounds, uh, went from a perm style to a more natural hairstyle, um, wrote my first book and started my first business. <laughs> wow, you really, you really went for it. And like that, but it, that's, that's incredible. That's one that's incredible. That's that's accelerated growth, right? That's what I'm, I'm kind of hearing from what you're saying there. The other thing that stood out for me, and I'm from hearing you and, and listening to you, another word that kind of I felt like connected the dots was responsibility. You took mm-hmm. responsibility for your life, how you were feeling and what you wanted. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, can you talk a little bit more into that? Like, do you think I that's can. where people can learn? Yeah, so I love that you picked that up because that is a core of who I am today. And every single executive coaching client and in my academy, we talk a lot about this. So in my academy, before we will talk about how you work with others, I don't want to talk about that until we talk about you. Until we talk about how you are showing up, how you're taking ownership, who you are, how you're feeling, what you want. We have to go through the process of understanding self first and really taking ownership of that. When I look back at that time in the situation, and this is not about fault. So I want to be clear about that. Because some people say, well, it wasn't your fault. And this is not about fault. This is about understanding how your decisions and the role that you play in your life. This is your life, right? And so if anybody's pulling the strings, it's got to be you. And so as we think about that and connect that to how we're feeling, our emotions are our indicators. If you're feeling good, you wake up every morning, you pop up out of bed, something's going well for you. If you drag yourself out of bed, if you hit snooze five times, if you're like, I don't want to do this, if you get a headache when you get to the office, those emotions and those feelings are telling you something. So, but are we listening? That's the question. It's, are we listening? And in that moment, I began to learn to listen because I wasn't really listening before. I was so busy doing that I lost the process of being. And so when I leaned into the space of really being, um, then I was able to say, okay, this is, I got the keys to my car. This is my car, my journey, my life. I'm taking the keys and I will never again sit in the passenger seat and ask, where am I going? I will have the keys and set the destination and go with intention. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We're only a few minutes into this (laughs) interview and I'm already like, "Woo!" (laughs) if we had a big audience, if I had one of those buttons where I could press, there was like loads of claps or there was a big audience around us. Now they'd be like we would be hooping and hollering um, (laughs) everywhere. That is so empowering and so inspiring um, from that story, Rhonda. And I'm sure that's you know, that's where your clients and the people that you work with really kind of feed off that from you. And it's hard for me because I've met you, I've met you in Clubhouse, I've known yeah. you um, this is almost a year now, right, that we've been interacting and getting to know each other. I was also on um, your your show, Leadership Above the Grind, the Coffee with Rhonda show. It's an amazing show, guys. I highly suggest you check it out on YouTube because it just again it just it's part of who you are and you know how you show up like the way you shape that show is just fantastic but coming back to that it's hard for me to um, imagine you in this um, situation where you were at that crisis point um, when I look at where you are now but like Mm -hmm. I said that's the inspiring part right that's really where we're like wow, if, if Rhonda can do it, I can, I can kind of do that too, right? And, and do you feel like that's, you know, when you work with people, you work with your um, clients, like, do you feel like that's really what, how they see it and how they 
kind of step into it? I do. Um, And it depends on where they are and how quickly they get there, right? So some clients start to work with me and um, I like to joke, you know, sometimes leaders are are too busy leading to to grow and learn, right? They're like, oh my gosh, I don't have time. I don't need a coach. I just need to, I just need time. I just need to do the work, right? And so when we start getting into it, they go, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I needed, right? Because I really need the opportunity to step back and really think about how I'm showing up and how I'm going forward. So years ago, Melissa, I had a client who was, um, he was the former former uh, marble man um, on TV back when there were cigarette commercials and all of this stuff. And, and he was like a young actor and that sort of thing. And he had moved into the photography space. He had his own photography studio, amazing man, but he was having some challenges in his relationship. And so I was coaching him. And he said to me one day, he said, oh, my God, coach, don't ever leave me. When I get off the phone with you, I feel like I can fly. I said, you can fly. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend jumping out the window, but you can fly. It's just a matter of you determining what you want. And that's what I'm here for. Because once we know, once I know what you want, I'm like, yes, now I know where we're going. And then the fun begins. Oh, so true. Like, what is the objective? What are we aiming for? What is that ideal scenario? And it's interesting. So I find sometimes when I talk to people, they often don't, they, they, it's like they dip their toe into the water. I don't know whether you see this and it's like, what well, I'm allowed to dream that big. What do you mean? Like I can actually, what well, I can, I can say this stuff out loud. <laughs> yes, you can say it out loud. And um, I love that you talked about showing up and you know, what are you showing up? How are you showing up? What are, what do you, how do you want to, you know, be betrayed? How do you want to be seen? So let me set the scene because I think this podcast has come at an exceptional time for the UK government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let alone, not that this is going to be in any way a political podcast, um, but just to set the scene, like you and I are talking about this stuff. We're talking about leadership. We're talking about how we show up. And I don't know if you know, Rhonda, but in the UK over the last 10 days, our prime minister um, has had to step down. Uh, because he's uh, people have lost confidence and actually he broke a record like I can't believe we're talking about this and I've got a half smoke on my face because it is uh, just slightly unbelievable he lost over 47 members of his cabinet in one day resigned Um, and there was like four or five or something the day before and in one day he lost 47 or more I think 47 at the last count and it might have been a few more before midnight wow just wow right and and to me we're learning what leaders aren't meant to be or Mm -hmm. what what can really turn people to to get off your bus or not believe in you or not stay um with with what you're doing I mean obviously there's there's comparisons there with what's been happening in the U.S. over the last few years um but like I said not for us to go into a political thing but just to look at these are leaders of us of people of countries and states and and everything else so what do you what do you think the the thematic kind of qualities or skills that are really screaming out to us from this sort of um this type of leadership that we see yeah. So, oh my gosh, Melissa, there's so much in this. Like, we could literally do a whole show on this and talk about the comparisons between the United States over the past few years. The first thing I want to say is every good person, every entertainer, every person with charisma is not a good leader, right? Leadership is different. Leadership is about understanding the vision and who you are. It's understanding the people. It's about inspiring people. It's not about telling people what to do. It's not about forcing people to see your way. It's not about you getting power and then deciding you're just going to make things your way, right? Leadership is about getting things done through other people who want to get those things done because they believe in you. They believe in the vision. They are inspired and they their heart is in it. And so when I think about these leaders that he lost in one day, he lost those leaders a long time ago, right? They just happened to walk out on that day. He lost 
those leaders a long time ago and likely it's a combination and I don't know his story. And so I'm not, you know, speaking a lot specifically about this, but when things like this happen, you can take any organization. There's an arrogance of leadership. Sometimes that happens when we get to the top, we stop listening and we start to move to that space of forcing people to do things that in their heart, they don't want to do trying to make people believe something that they know is not right. They see things going in the wrong direction and um, and it really grates on them, right? You start to get that twinge internally where you go, mm, yeah, I don't know about this. This isn't feeling good. And that great happens and happens and happens until they reach their boiling point and they go, okay, enough. I cannot do this anymore. I was recently, I recently posted something on our company LinkedIn page about, Uber, right? And the same thing that happened with Uber with the, all the, the email leaks called the Uber files now. Have you, have you heard about that? No. So oh. this is, you're giving me news today. Maybe I've been too busy doing as a leader to be learning <laughs> as a leader recently. Um, let's just put it like that. So yeah, no, tell us more. So the Uber files. Yeah, so I, I look at it all as leadership, just like what's happening in our political spaces. So apparently, um, there is this treasure trove of emails that have been leaked from Uber. I don't know, 30,000 emails, some ridiculous number um, leaked by a former executive. And the emails span 2013 to 2017 when the former CEO was in office. And they show this, gosh, this just callousness towards law. In fact, they say, well, we know we're breaking laws. And yeah, in certain locations where they were not supposed to be operating, they continue to operate. It showed that um, when there was violence, they thought that that was good for their company because uh, it kept them in the spotlight. It kept them in the conversation. There was someone saying we should probably keep our drivers away from this situation because taxi cab drivers are protesting and upset and there could be violence. And they're like, no, no, this is good for us. And, and so I'm reading these things and I'm going, holy cow. So just a pure callousness for people and um, the rule of law and all of that. And so, again, I take it back to leadership, right? Because you have a good idea, because you are an inventor or a developer, because you're a good person, doesn't make you a good leader. We have to do a better job of putting people in place who not only have leadership potential, but they are really interested in growing into leadership and not stopping where they are. Wow. Oh my gosh. I've got all these things like flying through my head from, from you talking about that and sharing that. I'm thinking to myself, oh, it's like, um, you know, the game battleships. Like, <laughs> it's a very, it's a very war, um, war driven attack mode. It's a, it's an attack, right? It's not defense. There is no, you know, it's very, there's no offense. It is absolute attack, um, right. attack, invade, go after, ruffle feathers you know chat yes there's I, I always talk about challenging the status quo and I think you know especially being a consultant right and I look mm -hmm. at operations I look at what happens with process and people and things and yes there has to be some challenge in the status quo but it's positive challenge in the status quo right. that doesn't overstep what you're talking about in terms of that ethical line between right. what is right and what is what is not and Interestingly, there was, um, I haven't listened to it all yet, but I do plan to. So do you follow Stephen Bartlett from? I don't. Ah, okay. So he has a, a podcast called um, uh, The Diary of a CEO. So he started it years ago and he interviewed some very interesting people. And one of the disruptive um, brands in the UK was led by oh, this guy called, I can't remember his name, but he runs a, a, a company called Brewdog. Now Brewdog, um, because they were going into a space of um, alcoholic drinks um, mm -hmm. and they, they obviously make these ales and beers. It's a very competitive space, but they did a lot of unethical things and his leadership, they ended up writing an open letter and posting it on Twitter all about him. So we can swap <laughs> notes on these things like after the podcast. But I think, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's things like this that happen that you, that make you go, wow, this is not what to do. These, these are worst in case 
examples right our best practice this is worst practice we've got a bit of a uh, we've got a bit of a spectrum um kind of going on there uh and I'm, I'm glad you brought those um sort of stories and that you've been able to share that with us today so I was on a workshop the other day and it was HR leaders, right? There's loads and loads of HR leaders, There's about 4,500 people on there. And they asked a poll during the break. And the poll that was during the break was, um, what do you think, what leadership skill do you think that uh, needs to be developed more in this new remote slash hybrid workplace? Mm. And they had quite a few uh, different options on there. There was about three or four. And I was, I was kind of sitting back. And I was looking at the answers and set now, I, I want your take on it. I won't sort of give m- m- my thoughts. Uh, oh, no, well, I will, uh, because actually I want your take on the second part of my question. So I will share it. The, they 70 percent of them said compassion and empathy is what needs to be developed. Mm-hmm. Now, I reflected on that and I was there in the in the workshop and I was there looking at it. And I said, something something's bugging me with that. Something is bugging me with it. And the reason I felt and I went into the chat to share it was because to me, compassion and empathy are fundamental leadership skills. They're not needed in a remote world. They were needed anyway. That was, that was me looking at it going, there's something, there's something weird about this. What is going on? So to me, they're fundamental and therefore communicate. You know, we need to improve our communication of maybe those things in remote world. So I want, first of all, I wondered what your take on it was. And secondly, I wondered, what do you believe are fundamental leadership skills? Yeah, so that's a great question. I knew you were going to say empathy is what they chose, um, because that is the prevailing theme right now. And when you look at there's actually been surveys um, done, and that comes up also that empathy is the number one trait that they're asking for in leadership right now, which is which, as you said, is a bit mind boggling, right? you're, You're like, wait, but this is just... But I think that that's where we get lost, Melissa, because we think certain things are just obvious. Well, of course, this is, but it's not obvious. And there's a second aspect to this is leaders think they're empathic, but they're not, right? Like if you ask a leader if they are showing empathy and then you ask their staff, you're likely to get two different answers, right? So this goes back to emotional intelligence where we say, 80 plus percent of leaders believe that they're self-aware when they're not. (laughs) And this goes by asking the people that work with them and for them, right? That's a huge number. And so what that tells me is we're not showing up the way we think we're showing up, right? The way that we see ourselves is different than the way that others are seeing us. And somehow we have to close that gap. So I think there was this... um, idea that these certain things are basics, but we can no longer um, assume that people know what the basics are and that they know how to perform in that basic way. We can't assume that, which is exactly why I I started my academy, because I think it is um, not fair to say to a leader, listen, as a leader, you need to have good communication skills. Well, what in the world does that mean? I mean, I speak, right? Can you understand me? Great. Then I think I've got good communication skills, (laughs) right? No, it is that serious. And so when you say good communication skills, what are you talking about? Like, what does that look like practically speaking? Um, And then if if you don't have people in your organization who can role model that, now I'm really lost because I'm like, okay, well, that dude over there was just yelling at his employee. (laughs) in the hall, and you're asking me to have good communication skills, I think I speak fine. I'm not the happiest person in the world. But you know, and then you've got all of this chaos. So in the academy, we say, okay, time out people, right? Rewind, let's go back to the basics. Let's stop assuming that people know what we meet. Neat. So some of the basic skills that I think uh, leaders need to have is vision of themselves and for their team. Right. Where where do you see yourself taking this team? You know, how do you want it to look? That's vision. You've got to have an idea of what that is. Otherwise, how can you function in that way if you haven't? And that's work. 
That's work that should be happening with you and the team, right? Like, let's sit down and say, this is where I think I want to see us. How do you guys feel about that? Let's talk about it. Let's brainstorm. Let's do a session. Let's write it all. I mean, have fun with it, right? So I think leaders have to have vision. I think leaders have to have a level of confidence because when leaders don't have confidence, not cockiness, right? There's a difference between those two. Um, But when leaders don't have confidence, you know what happens? They micromanage, they don't communicate, like all of these other little behaviors start to occur when leaders don't have confidence in themselves and their people. So I think that that one is really important for leaders. Communication is obviously a given, but I think we've got to go further and talk about what that actually means and what that looks like. And so we try to break that down in the academy. And honestly, I have just, communication is huge. It's like the galaxy, right? And so I've decided that in the academy, we're going to take it in three stages. There's like in phase one, there's communication. There will be another communication link because it's just so much. Are you speaking about my nonverbals? Are you talking about my tone? Are you talking about my inner critic and my internal communication, which is often a driver for my external communication, right? There's so much with communication. So those are some of the things. And then I think emotional intelligence is another one, but not just a big fancy word. Oh, emotional intelligence. I have that like understanding practically what those pieces of emotional intelligence are so that you can manage yourself to that and then support others in their development and growth cycle. Then the last one is I think leaders have to have a growth mindset. I think leaders sometimes get so busy, as I said, I was in this spot. I was so busy doing that I wasn't really growing myself. I didn't take time to invest in my own education and say, oh, there's this new thing out there they're talking about intentional leadership. Well, what is that? And why is that different? And am I doing that? And do I need to do that? And right, and really taking space. And I think this should be a part of your workday. I don't think this needs to be any special take time off to go to a conference. You should be able to sit down for 30 minutes in your office and do some growth and development work. Why not? It is a part of your job as a leader to grow. So those are some of the basics that I think leaders have to have. Yes. White space, I call it like that. You took, but you called it like the the white space in the diary. I mean, it's different to just being right. Like, you know, and just being, um, but there's a little bit of that, but the white space, I call it like the planning, the thinking time, the learning, the growing, because, because actually, and I don't think a lot of people know that, that if you actually don't have the space in the diary to do that, it affects your ability to learn. It is a barrier to learning. It's one of it the is. three pillars. But but people get so um, just so over obsessed about looking at what do I need to do next? What do I need to make sure I'm productive in? How many hours do I need to give the client? What do I need to who am I having a call with next? That actually that those pieces aren't factored in. So it's brilliant that you've kind of brought us right back to that. And thank you for absolutely schooling me in we can no longer assume that people know what the fundamental skills are. And I feel I also feel like what what we're really looking at is the adaption of how we work in the environment has maybe brought more of these gaps to the surface Mm -hmm. or where someone could hide maybe that they were struggling in that area before. There's now no hiding uh it it is there for everyone to see a little bit more even though we're remote which is bizarre but the point is I think the gap is is the focus right it's where if there's if there's something is missing it's even more prominent I don't know like do you think that's a little bit of it too I do you know I think the time that we're in really matters uh because there is a lot happening and we are in a, a a record pace of change and um, and these organizations are really trying to keep up. The way they're doing it is by doing. That's not the way. I don't think that's a sustainable way. I think organizations have to step back and figure out where they are and understand where they are and how their gaps. How are you filling your leadership pipeline? So this is another way, right? So if you're promoting from within, I'm a good technician. Does it make me a good leader? doesn't mean that I'll have the skills needed for the next job that you promote me into. So as an organization, what is your role in that? So organizations are taking this hands-off approach often and saying, well, we give training. We do annual training every year. No. And so this is what I love, right? We say this in the academy. You teach your leaders what to do. We teach them how to be. 
I don't want to teach the leaders what your ins and outs and your tasks are for you. You can do that. We teach leaders how to be, how to show up, how to lead. And every organization is not qualified and equipped to do that. And therefore, they promote people, they pat them on the back, they give them the keys to the office, they give them the big new budget, and they say, hey, good luck with that. That's a challenge. (laughs) <laughs> I love that analogy. That that's so that's so so good. And I mean, when we look at the, you know, we've talked about maybe what's not so good, and we've talked about how we can kind of identify the gaps, where the kind of fundamentals are. Mm-hmm. But if we really now go full end to the spectrum, right? So, what is it that gives expert leaders that competitive edge in what they do? So I think um, there's a couple of things that really give leaders the edge. Um, Number one, I think them understanding their own strengths and weaknesses. When I as a leader know who I am and I understand my strengths and weaknesses, then and I have the confidence to do something with that information, right? Because they all sort of build and go together. Now I feel like I'm in a great position because you can say to me, Rhonda, can you go and give this speech on leadership any time of the day? Just tell me where to be and I'll show up. If you say, Rhonda, can you go do this marketing and sales thing? Uh, not so much, right? That's really not my strength, not really my strength and my skill set. Who else is available with that strength and that skill set that can do that? Right. So now we are giving the company a competitive edge because we are respecting our strengths. Because we are not trying to make leaders be jack of all trades and do things that they are just not comfortable doing or frankly, not good at doing it. And so I think that helps gives not only the leader the edge, but it also helps give the organization a competitive edge. When we're talking about organizations with with a competitive edge, they are the ones that are people first. You have to focus on your people. Now, many people say that, oh, we're looking at staff this and staff is disengaged. And why is staff disengaged? Because their leaders are not good leaders. So it, it goes back to this circle. So the company with the competitive edge understands that the work that they need to do is with their leaders. You have got to develop that team. You've got to engage them. You've got to inspire them. You've got to grow them. You've got to challenge them. You've got to empower them. You've got to do all of that to develop a level of elite leadership throughout your organization. And you will see the results in your bottom line and your staff morale and your engagement and everything else. Oh, gosh. Uh, Yes. I'm singing from the same song sheet on this. And we, you know, you talked about skills. There's... (laughs) There are skill shortages. And I know this in the US, this is happening in the UK, Mm -hmm. it's happening in a lot of places. You know, I and I I wonder, I was again, I was listening to kind of questions and and just just um, general topics and themes that were coming up about what our younger generation are doing and what they're choosing to do. And I, I, I mean, I see this gap between the leaders that maybe were before or leaders that we have now or this lack of inspiration. What do do you think that we can do to inspire them more to maybe move into certain fields or areas or to up-level themselves in their skills as leaders? I I think um, that's a really great question, Melissa. I think that we have to stop trying to make them be us. They're not us. They're coming up in a different time in a different space. I will tell you, I love these conversations that I have with my son (laughs) because I will try to uh, to speak to it from my experience and my vantage point. And he'll say, that's not what we think. That's not how we think about it. And that's not how we do it anymore. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) well, okay. well, let's talk about how you do do it. So I think we have to, instead of going, this is the way it should be. It's like saying, you know, when I was young, I walked five miles in the snow with no shoes to get to school. Nobody cares about that because we're not doing that today. I don't care if you did it, but we're not doing it today. So so the whole point in the story is like, yeah, okay, great. Thanks for that information. So we have to meet people where they are and we have to use their way to inspire them forward. 
if they are thinking that they're just going to turn into a, a different version of us, they don't want that. They're like, I'm not doing that. I, I am not planning to work 12 hours a day. I am not planning to go home and carry a big thing of all my work home and then work more from home. They're not doing, they don't want to do that. And what can we learn in the process? We can learn that just because we've always done it doesn't mean that that's the way it should be done, right? Just because we've always done it doesn't mean that's the way it should be done. So again, a confident leader can see this, can hear this, can accept this, and then moves to okay, let's think about this differently. And then I think we will get people and we can help them elevate their skills. So skills can be taught, right? So it's really just a matter of getting the right people who are interested in developing into that. And you can do that if you are presenting it to them in a way that they can hear it, not in the way that you believe is the old way that we used to go. Even the way that we position job descriptions, right? Um, And when we're using male kind of strong language and, you know, um, capable of multitasking, people are like, "Mm, that's actually not really a good thing. So, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm a singular focus person. I can spin a few plates, but I have to actually focus. Exactly. But we'll put things like that in job descriptions, right? It's like, like capable. We want the person capable of taking on the world. Well, people are reading this now and going, yeah, I'm not, not, mm -mm." Not really yes. interested in that. It's it's interesting. Can I suppose instead of multitask, it's like um, I'm trying to think now. It's, it's a bit schematic, but I'm trying to think how you could word it differently. Maybe there's something in that about can can manage multiple can manage um, multiple or simultaneous projects at one time rather than a multitasking approach. Because hmm, yeah, yeah, or able to manage it able to manage a, um, a portfolio of projects um, effectively or something like that. It doesn't mean that you're doing it all, but multitasking. Prioritizing is what you're doing. It's not really multitasking, is it? Exactly. Exactly. And people are smart enough now to pick up on those nuances where we used to just throw those terms around in the past. Um, today, people will question them as they look at it. And so, um, I think it's just really interesting. We have an opportunity to shift our cultures and our environments to today. What is needed today? Today, people want to work remotely. Um, The whole thing with, oh, let's talk about another leadership issue. (laughs) Oh, what was his name? Um, Elon Musk. Oh, wow. We're going to go there. We're going there, people. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. We're we're definitely going here. So you heard about the email, the email that he sent his people. Uh, yeah, reiterate it, though, for the audience, because I think we, we need to, yeah, go for it. So he uh, apparently is speaking to remote working. And um, and I don't have the exact words, so I'm just paraphrasing here. And if you want the exact words, just Google it and, you, and the whole thing will come up. Um, but what he basically said to his people is um, we will be working 40 plus hours a week in office. He said, now, if you want to work remotely, uh, or less than 40 hours a week in office, then you can go pretend to work somewhere else. <laughs> Fun. It's, it's, uh, yeah. So when you said about the Elon Musk, I mean, let's be honest, the guy's communicated a lot of things over the last <laughs> few months with this potential takeover of Twitter now, it's sort of happening and all these things that are going on. So, yeah, I, I mean, let's, it, it's, it is, it's, um, the divide on that I mean again we could have another podcast about this um about whether people can work in a remote world whether they'll still continue to develop and learn in a remote world whether it's good for the soft skills whether it's not um whether it's good for the the younger generation or not um it's it's such a divided topic I did a poll and it was 50 50 it came out after a week at 50 50 I was like what I was like, how can this be such a divide? Like, I just, it's a, it's such a divided question. Um, because, Melissa, I, we don't change well. We don't change yeah. well, right? And, and people think, well, you can't do X, Y, and Z when you're working remotely. Why not? Honestly, I haven't worked in an office and I don't, I don't even know when's the last time I had a role where I worked in office. Like, why can't we do these things not in office? 
you may not be comfortable doing them remotely, that doesn't mean they can't be done remotely. It means that you've got to reimagine and rethink about how you do things. Doesn't mean, so what we always do is we want to do exactly what we do remotely. No, you've got to change. You've got to make adjustments because the environment is different. The affect is different. The way that you interact, right? So you got to be willing to change. But if you're just saying, well, we do these forms and we have these meetings and we do these things. And yeah, we're just going to do all of those same things remotely. That may not work. And then your impression will be, see, remote working doesn't work. Mm, yeah, I'm an adapter. I'll go, cool, what are we going to do? Let's, let's, let's figure it out. Let's operate differently. Let's innovate. Let's find another way around these things. But I, I mean, you're from the healthcare background, right? So yeah. I'm listening to you saying some of this stuff and it's like, whoa, like how would they do it? Like how can they evolve? And I was also thinking about what you said in the conversation with your son and that the the fact that people don't want to work these 12 hours they don't want to be there and present but like you know one of the major skills gaps areas is in healthcare and the you know the the mm-hmm. nursing field the you know doctors like the percentage of people that are taking up these things is less well it certainly is in the UK I don't know what it's right. like in the, in the US but like it, it got me thinking <laughs> Why do we have people on 12 hour shifts in a in a hospital? Why do they have to? Okay, there's a certain amount of hours that we have to learn. There's the competency because you're, you know, you effectively working on other human beings. Yes, of course, those right. things have to exist. But how actual effect, how effective is it to make us work 12 hours? Okay, there has to be 24 hour care, but how could that be reimagined? I don't know. You're from the sector. So, I mean, what do you think about that? Oh my gosh. So, And I've seen both sides. So, okay, once again, I think people are going to get tired of us saying that this could be a whole show by itself, just this topic alone. So remember, um, in my opening, I said I was a chief nursing officer. So I actually took my team from eight hour shifts to 12 hour shifts. And the reason was staffing. It's really tough to staff three, three shifts um, a day. Um, when you're dealing with bodies and how many people do you need to do that as opposed to uh, staffing the other way. And but also the driver was people were tired of working five days a week. Right. Healthcare is busy. And so we started to have the discussions. Well, what what's the compromise here? What do you want to do? And would you be willing to work 12s? And the reason it wasn't such a stretch is because most nurses work overtime anyway. Right. And so we're saying, okay, so if you're going to work the overtime anyway, what if we went to 12 hour shifts? And so there was a whole discussion. Now, that was then that was early 2000s. Right. And so maybe it's time to reverse that and do something different. So I think that's where we as leaders have to be having those conversations. Nurses like having four days off one week and three days off the next, right? As opposed to, you know, uh, because then you even have time during the week where let's say I've got to go to the dentist or do whatever, right? You still, you've got some flexibility there. So it gave nurses a lot more flexibility than than, um, five, eight hour shifts did. So that was the driving factor behind it. In addition to staffing eight hour shifts was just a freaking nightmare. It was, it, it was just awful. However, I think as leaders, we have to go back and know our people. And this is going to be a little bit different for each organization, right? But you have to have those conversations. Is this still working for us? And if the answer is no, then let's talk about um, collaboratively coming up with a solution, right? So at, at some organizations, they have teams. Some teams work eights and some work twelves. You get this cross-pollination happening. You also have some organizations um, that work tens. Right. So some staff will work 10 hours. So there's a whole lot of different things happening. 12 has has sort of become the prevailing way for clinical staff to work. Um, But there is a mixture happening out there across the world. Yeah, that's good to point out. Again, I was just thinking about the younger generation and how they view it. And it's like, 12 hours. No, man. You know, they're they're not even used to doing four hour shifts, let alone kind of the, the 12 hour mentality or thought um at the moment but again it is an interesting topic we were kind of coming from it from a leadership perspective then we a bit into ops on that but uh, thank you for kind of um exploring talking to us about the past talking about you know your thoughts for the future on it 
Um, what do you think is the hardest leadership skill to improve? Or what, what do you find that people have the biggest problem with when you're working with them? Yeah, so it's really interesting. Um, I find there's a couple of way, of things. The biggest thing that I see leaders struggle with is mindset. Because you can do anything if you get your mind right. If you get your mind in that space to do it. But the biggest barrier that I see is not any particular skill because skills are just skills. They're learnable, right? This is what I love about the work that we do at the academy. I'm like, these are just skills. You can learn these skills. The question is, do you want to? The question is, why should you? The question is, what's it going to do for you? The question is, okay, you've been without them for 40 years and you've been a leader. Why should I do this now? I'm fine, right? That's the challenge that I see. So the biggest challenge that I see is getting leaders um, to be in the mindset of understanding really what's happening around them um, in lots of different ways so that then they can do something about it. I think if you get the right mindset, then sky's the limit. But it's that mindset piece um, that I see holding people back. Amazing. And these these kind of expert leaders we talked about and really kind of reaching for the stars. Who do you, you know, be, knowing you look at leadership a lot and knowing that you, I mean, there might not be any, but I hope, I hope there is. Um, let's give us some hope and inspiration. What role models that are out there in the world now, you know, famous or not, or, you know, semi-famous, what ones do you think demonstrate top leadership skills? Yeah, so the two that come to mind immediately are uh, Brene Brown. Um, and and not that she's the perfect leader, because I think there are no perfect leaders. But what I love about what she does, it's about her inclusion and transparency, right? She works with her team. They talk through things. They have rumbles when they disagree, right? And, and they dive deeper into subjects and try to come to understandings. I love that about the way that she leads. I also think um, another good leader out there right now is Ariana Huffington. And, Amazing. Um, Ariana Huffington has been through a lot and she's learned so much and it's completely transformed how she shows up in the world and how she leads. So she's constantly now talking about leading with boundaries and wellness and caring for yourself because of her own instincts of not caring for herself are you did you know her story no I I know that she started um oh what's it called is it Thrive no what's the, the Huffington Post, the and, Huffington then Post yes. and then Thrive yeah 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 so I knew um I knew that she started that but I don't know her story prior to that can you tell us a little bit yeah just a little just quickly so as she started the Huffington Post of course that was a lot of work and so she found herself working really long days, 12 hour, 14 hour, 16 hour days. So she's at her desk working one day and um, she's doing some phone stuff and doing some emails and she passes out. And she wakes up on the floor um, with her um, cheek or head bleeding. And, you know, and she now she's like frantic and she's freaking out like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? So they take her to the hospital. They do scans and neuro scans and brain scans and all of this. And the doctor came back and said, OK, here's what I found. You're exhausted. And she said that that was the wake up. That was one of the greatest wake up moments for her that she's ever had. And she said she had done it to herself, right? She was exhausted putting in all of these hours, constantly go, go, go. And now she says that I understand that me caring for myself is about my caring for others, my caring for the team, my caring for the work that we do, how we show up, setting boundaries, knowing that the weekends are time to really reflect and rejuvenate and all of those kinds of things. So I love that she speaks to that now because it's another one of those um, fallacies of leadership that we should work till we drop. We should just get it done at all costs. We should just go, go, go. Less, yes, the leader has to fill every one of those open positions because, hey, you're the leader of that department. And so you've got to get it all done. All of this craziness that if I send my leader a text or if my leader sends me a text at 
um, because it's convenient, right? So my leader sends me a text at 9 p.m. I have to respond to it. My boss is sending me emails on the weekend. I'm going to respond to that. I'm like, no, 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 and no. We need to stop all of that craziness and we need to respect our leaders and we need to take care of them. So true. And I always, I always have like this, um, this SLA, I call it in my response type. Now I'm a, I'm this, I think I have to set this boundary for me because I know that I will disrespect my own boundary if I don't communicate it out there. And the, um, here's it. You can message me whenever you like, but I have up to 24 hours to respond to you. Uh, Mm. I may respond sooner. If it's a Friday, it will be 48 hours. (laughs) If I respond sooner, it's a bonus. But I've got to give myself, I've got to allow myself that opportunity that sometimes, no, it's switch off time. I'm out walking the dog for an hour. So no, I can't get back to you. Just don't expect an immediate response. If I can respond immediately, I will. But if I'm not, there's an allowance of and things are not going to burn down and if they're burning down you're calling the wrong person you need to be ringing 911-999 like that's that's the way I see it and you're it's so true like just you know just say that to people and and you also hear it like people go I'm so sorry I'm messaging you at this time and that's when I say it's cool you can message me whenever you like just know that I can't always respond when you want me to there's I'm so I'm going to tell you 2448 that's it and and if it works for you then it works for you if you want if you want some type of batman service <laughs> you're probably <laughs> going to have you better stop paying my bills pay for my house <laughs> get me some get me some cleaners and stuff like you know <laughs> that is great melissa but you know what i wish that every leader could do what you just said they're not there no and because it's a it's the protective mechanism, right? They're fearful. They're fearful that I will be seen as a slacker. I won't be seen as someone dependable. I'm not a team player. Think about it. Cultures and organizations drive a lot of what people do. And so I was recently um, in an organization doing some work and I had done a workshop for them. And then we were meeting with the executive team and, and we're having this conversation and the, the CEO is down at one end of the table and his whole team is there and we're talking. And I said, like, for instance, setting boundaries that allow you to care for yourself. And so I said, so if Mr. CEO here sends you an email at 9 p.m., you know, what happens? And he and he looked at me and he said, well, I mean, I'm not expecting anyone to respond to it then. And someone down at the end of the table said, oh no, if I get an email from you, I feel like I have to respond immediately. So what it did was it created this awareness. There was a disconnect, right? He's thinking, oh, it's cool. Get to it when you can. They're thinking, oh my gosh, the CEO just sent me an email, right? And so so what I said to them is this is why I talk about intentional leadership, right? You have to be you have to do what you do intention with intention. So when I send an email to my team on a weekend, I now place the header on it, a header that says, no need to address this until Monday. They don't have to stress about it. Why should I make them figure that out, right? I, I'm sending the email. It, the responsibility as the communicator is on me to send the message properly so that I don't generate that level of stress in my team. And so, but we don't, we just do things, we fling them about, we're doing whatever we're doing, and then things happen the way they happen. Ooh, so good. And I'm sure that that is a knowledge bomb for lots of people that are listening to this. And they can really take away from our practical practical approach to just caring for ourselves that little bit more. Thank you. And and thank you for sharing that about Ariana and about... um, Brené Brown, of course. I still haven't read Brené Brown's recent book. I need to get on it. It's yeah. all about compassionate leadership, I'm sure. We, again, <laughs> that will be another podcast. We'll just invite you back. It'll just be a weekly thing. Um, <laughs> look, I'm, um, I'm going to ask you a few, a couple more questions, just like, um, just, just kind of quick ones, fun ones, maybe some, you know, hypothetical situations. If you had to pick one leadership quality, to put next to your name forever, 
what might you pick? Oh, only in this moment. I'm not saying it could never change your mind, but if you had to in this moment. Mm. One leadership quality. It might be. I want to say intentional. It's one of my favorite things. Honestly, when I am thoughtful about things, I feel like it serves everyone else well. <laughs> right? And when I go half cocked into things and I'm just barreling ahead, then then I find myself having to back up. Right? It's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. That wasn't what I meant. And I should have. And but when I'm stuck, when I pause and I think about it and I anticipate reaction and I and I know where I'm going and why I'm going there, I feel like it not only serves me. But it serves everyone else that I serve. Amazing. And I also think that really serves well and leans into one of the best things that I saw in your bio, which was hope is not a strategy, <laughs> <laughs> but intention is. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's so good. Love that. You're going to be, I can just see it now. You're going to start putting it out there, intention there. Um, fab, thank you so much for asking that, uh, answering that fun one. Um, and here's my last uh, sort of fun hypothetical question for you. You're having a dinner party. You can invite three guests, dead or alive. Who are you going to pick? Who's the, who's mm-hmm. in the, the hot thematic moment in your mind? <laughs> so... I think I want to have lunch with Indra Nui. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to have lunch with Maya Angelou. Oh, nice choice. And then I want to have lunch with somebody historic, like an older historical figure, um, like Henry Ford or something. And one of the reasons is because he had this thing about him where he got what he wanted. Like he just wouldn't, he just had no quit in him. And I'm like, like, how did you, and when everyone, even his engineers, everyone around him is like, it can't be done. We can't do it. We can't do it. He's like, yes, it can go back to work and let me know when you have it. And they come back and they'd go, um, listen, we're telling you, he's like, I have faith, I'm trusting, I know you can do it. Let me know when it, I'm like, what is that? Right? Because most of us would have been like, all right, they said it can't be done moving on. Interesting. And bringing us full circle or maybe half circle back to the whole thing about Elon Musk a little bit. I feel like maybe Elon Musk and even the, the ex-CEO of Uber, maybe they intentionally aimed aimed to be like Henry Ford and missed the mark, you know, <laughs> totally got they, they didn't have the intentional side of it, Rhonda, <laughs> that you were talking about. I think that's yeah, that's such an interesting thought. Um, yeah, Henry Ford, the fact that he was like, if I'd have given everybody what they wanted, they wanted faster horses. <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> like, it's hilarious to think. One of the best stories that I found out about Henry Ford, and I don't know if you know this one, um, and to the listeners that are out there, was that when he was picking people, he was going to give people jobs. Um, but what he did to, to pick them was that he invited them to dinner and he asked them to order food in advance. I don't know. Have you heard this one? No. Um, so he ordered, he asked them to order the food in advance. But then when they came to the restaurant, he told the waiters to, on purpose, give the wrong food. For example, if you wanted your steak medium well and it came out rare, um, if you asked for, you know, an egg on the side, you didn't get one. And the only people that he was interested in employing were the people that said, excuse me, this wasn't what I ordered. Uh because they obviously had a little bit more courage and confidence to actually be assertive and say, hey, hang on a minute, there's there's something not not right about this. Um, oh, wow. I, yeah. So it's quite interesting. That. Yes, it's a really interesting um, story. But I, I, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of lessons you could get from that dinner party. So just to recap, Maya Angelou, Henry Ford. And then did you say Andrew Newey? No, I said um, Indra Nui. Indra um, Nui. I'm not. I'm not familiar with them. Who are they? So Indra Nui was the CEO of PepsiCo. Oh. Yeah, she was, uh, and she's an Indian American woman, uh, and she was the CEO of PepsiCo, and she just did some fascinating thing. Very empathic leader. Um, so she would do things like. 
um, when she hired her executive team and they had been working together for a while and they were working really hard, she was like, these were amazing people. So I would write letters to their parents. She wrote letters to their parents to tell them how amazing their children were and what a great job they were doing for her. And And she said that created such a ripple throughout her organization and such goodwill. And the parents then just loved her. They would write her back and it was just a whole thing. And so I thought that was pretty incredible. She, They said she would be seen walking through the halls in her bare feet and dancing or singing um, as she's walking up the halls. Just a very, really human approach to leadership. Oh, and on that, That is where we are going to land our plane today, ladies and gentlemen, a human approach to leadership on the Emotioneering podcast today with Rhonda Y. Williams. Um, Rhonda, thank you ever so much for coming on the show. Is there anything that you want to plug? How can people reach out to you? How can they connect? Yes, absolutely. So people can learn about Leadership Above the Grind Mentoring and Coaching Academy. What we do there is we help you develop elite leaders at every level of your organization, leaders who are thoughtful and who will take care of your people, who will then take care of your bottom line. So I can be reached on LinkedIn. um, And I think on LinkedIn, I'm Coach Rhonda Y. Williams. You can also uh, visit the website, which is leadershipabovethegrind.net, leadershipabovethegrind.net. Um, you can send me an email or, or you can reach me at Rhonda at loveleadingagain.com. So I'm very social. I'm on all the platforms, pretty easy to find. And if you want to check out a fun show, you can visit the Coffee with Rhonda show, as Melissa stated earlier. Um, and all of the episodes are on YouTube. Fantastic. Rhonda, thank you ever so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate all of your insights. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa. It's been a pleasure being here with you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Emotioneering podcast with me, Melissa Curran, today. It's been great. Remember to subscribe to Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or all three. You can also come to the website, modernmindgroup.com, where you can subscribe there, stay in contact, and let us know what you really think. Give us the feedback. This is going to get better by knowing what you think Uh, Has this given you food for thought? Has it helped you change something? What has it inspired? Let us know because that's why we're doing it. It's all about the people, people, people. (laughs) Have a great day and ciao for now.